Pitch Deck Asia. Your story, your words. We are live. This is Pitch Deck Asia. My name's Graham Brown. We are heading into the world of finance today, joined by Barnas MC. Barna, welcome. Uh, good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you here. So, I know you're not all the way from Hungary today. It's been a long journey, but originally from Hungary. And now, how long in Singapore? Well, I spent over 12 years in Singapore and Asia, so I'm quite familiar with the uh, with the Asian markets by now. Yeah, yeah. You come from the world of finance, right? So you um, have worked a number of years in investment banking and finance is your gig. You're now here trying to solve a problem in the world of finance. Maybe before we sort of dive into the pitch deck, we can talk about why you're here. Why are you on this journey? First of all, how long have you been a startup entrepreneur? And then also, how did all of this start? Well, I have been working as an investment banker, investment manager for a long time in, in big Wall Street firms. And the uh, first time when I had an idea of, of starting up something was in 2010. So just uh, property markets freshly collapsing and a uh, and, uh, lot of opportunities that I, I saw in Singapore and elsewhere in the world. So I decided to create a new product and I decided to venture into something that have never been done before. So I wanted to create the benchmark investing opportunity for residential property markets. Mm. And the trigger was that, that there were plenty of uh, residential property price indices or house price inflation indices, but none of them were tradable or investable in a in a for ordinary people and i i started to think of that of that problem so you've been thinking about it for a number of years when did it actually become something that you thought i've got to solve this problem well right in 2010 i made an attempt to solve it so i started to to organize together um, sponsoring smaller financial institutions and pitch my idea but that time i wasn't really ready as an entrepreneur. So I, I was still a, a corporate soldier and I tried to build myself in the next job. Yeah. And it didn't really work out. I, I had some progress. And even though I had you know the, the resources to to make it happen, but I I lacked something. Yeah. The the kind of entrepreneurial spirit that that I thought I had but I didn't. Yeah. Uh, with the hindsight now I, I can look back and I feel, you know, what were the what were the problems then? And then, uh, almost like a, uh, you know, saving my my struggle with that, I got a phone call from a from a major investment bank where everybody would want to work. So mm. so I took a I took a job there and uh, put on ice my idea for a for a couple of years. Mm. So you parked your idea. Yeah. Tell, when, when did it all start to happen? When the ball really started gathering momentum? So then I had a second attempt, uh, which uh, I started in 2013. Hmm. And that time I, I, I was on the other, other extreme. So I built a team very quickly. I got funding and uh, I started to build an infrastructure. But I didn't have uh, the clients and I didn't have, you know, like the the, the, the natural traction of the business. Mm. And that time strategically was also very attractive because in many of the markets already recovery started, but there were plenty of markets where recovery was, was still yet to start. And I've been looking at that time, some of the major European 
European cities where I could have started and I, I started to put together the, the proposition and uh, eventually we didn't manage to, to get to the, uh, to the uh, tipping point of, of starting the business. So then we, we folded the, the venture again. Mm. So you had a few attempts. And this, so let's talk about your current startup, so, so SquareSafe. So how, how does this all come together? So then I, I said, okay, I, I, I sat down afterwards and I've been doing some other, some other ventures and some other businesses where I, I, mm, I've been you know, making my living. And, uh, and then about a year and a half ago, I decided it was not exactly a New Year's resolution, but very close to it. I give one more chance to myself in this because mm. I really believe in it. And uh, looking back at all the all the problems and issues, and and what were the what were the points? And I bounced my idea to many of my professional friends and and gathered a lot of feedback. Especially, I love the feedback from the skeptics mm. because they give you really valuable feedback. So you can every time. I spent uh, time on on improving my idea, improving my product, fixing the questionable or, or questioned parts, and uh, and then I started to build the infrastructure. So I started to to build the uh, the foundations of the business about a mm. year and a half ago, and uh, it all came together. Actually, the SquareSave branding and idea and uh, and the actual way of structuring it just about three four months ago. Right. Okay. So it's quite new in that context. Is this something that you have personally dealt with or professionally dealt with? I know we were chatting off air. You said you wanted to share a little bit of the personal background where you've actually experienced this yourself. Because I know you come from the world of finance. So you've been dealing with products and indices your whole life. Yet outside of that world, as a consumer as well, what was the problem? What was the challenge that people like you were facing? So... In Europe, many countries have a German-style savings uh, program that is based on a on a saving period of let's say four to ten years. You save money for your down payment, yeah, and you get very small amount of interest, if any. Currently, I think in the two biggest markets, Germany and Austria, probably people are getting close to zero. Yeah, but even countries where uh, interest rates are a bit higher, you get two to three percent. So money in the bank growing very slowly. And then what you see is that when you, when you try to buy a, a house or improve, improve your, your house on the, on the expenses, and I had this uh, myself in Hungary. So when I, I started doing it, I had a, a, a vision that, you know, like I, I, will, I will save for a couple of years and then I will buy a small apartment for investment. By the time my saving period was over, I could barely buy half of a small apartment. Yeah. So then you have a choice of either uh, putting funds from somewhere else and uh, and uh, and topping up your your down payment, or save a couple of more years until you trying to catch up with the market. Yeah, that's tough, isn't it? And if you do the maths on it, I'm just thinking over ten years. If you're saving over ten years, if the property price grows seven percent a year, it will double within 10 years. And that's not unrealistic in some markets, especially in a recovery, right? So if you're saving for a product which has effectively doubled in price in 10 years time, you're almost like going backwards sometimes, right? But is, is this sort of the norm? Like in Europe, how, do, how does that work? I mean, is this what people have sort of grown up doing? Have people questioned this sort of process of saving for down payments? 
Well, in Europe, in most countries now, even the uh, legislation requires people to put down uh, 10% or 20% minimum down payment. Mm. So before the crisis, one of the big lessons was that, you know, when people could buy with zero down or in, um, in America still, people can buy with 3% down. So uh, that means that, uh, that somebody else is taking a huge risk on your real estate. And, uh, and if something happens to you, then you will default. And then uh, if uh, there is a crisis or a systemic downturn in the, in the economy, then a lot of people will default. And that creates a big problem and a, a collapse of house prices, which mm. will accelerate the whole down cycle. So if you look at this, this model, uh, this has been around for about 100 years in Germany. And, uh, you know, our parents and grandparents' generation were buying it. And it's so widespread that, for example, in Austria, more than 50% of the people have this kind of a saving program. Mm. So it's a very usual and, and very common thing to, to, to have it. Now, the problem is that uh, the long-term trends show to a different direction. So when you look at what drives house prices, um, and let's just put aside uh, demographics and put aside um, the financial um, uh, policies that, that make credit available or affordable, then in an equilibrium economy, house prices are driven by uh, purchasing power. So when people get a higher salary, mm. typically they don't save more money. They are looking at a new apartment to move in. And I think this is quite universal. So it happens everywhere in the world. So that also means that, that demand is driven by the purchasing power of the salaries. And purchasing power of the salaries is defined by uh, two things. One is economic growth, and the second is inflation. So the two together will define the nominal wages, and that will, through this mechanism, impact the house prices. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, when you save money in the bank, then your interest rate will be defined by the central bank rate, which is uh, set to uh, contain inflation and the credit premium of the banks. So the, the better your bank is, the, more, uh, the less premium you will get. So that means in an in a improving economy, in a developed economy with a solid, uh, high quality banking system, your bank deposit will not yield too much. Yeah, you're lucky to get interest in the first place. In some places you're paying negative interest, right? So I mean, that's, a, that's not unrealistic these days, right? Uh, yes, but uh, typically governments wouldn't allow paying negative interest to the to the public. So yeah. negative interest uh, happens to to corporates typically. Okay, so what is the problem in all of this? What is the problem you're trying to solve? Because you're dealing with macro issues which are huge. The whole financial system, central banking, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Where are you starting your spotlight? Where are you shining on? What are you trying to fix? So I'm trying to shift the focus from saving money and from the money-focused world to the problem of the person. So I want to buy an apartment of uh, 600 square feet, for example. Mm. And if I want to buy a 600 square feet apartment in Singapore, I think uh, the minimum down payment here also is 20%. So I have to get an equivalent of 120 square feet. Mm -hmm. So that is the starting point. And... Uh, and I'm trying to keep that focus. So focus on the square feet, focus on the, on the amount of real estate that you want to buy, and then uh, decide how much 
money you will need to make it happen. And that will change throughout the course. So if you start saving in square feet terms, then let's say you can save two square feet per month. So somebody with a relatively good salary or a, or a young couple where there's two earners, then one square foot of private apartment in Singapore, just give or take 1,500 Singapore dollars. So then for two people, it's, uh, it's currently 3,000, which mm. is, you know, in, in a professional job, you could possibly afford with less traveling, less partying. And, um, and this product could actually uh, be meaningful in managing your, your, your savings. And you know that in 60 months, so five years, you will have enough money to make your down payment. Right. How could we help it? And um, just would like to highlight that this is a product in development, so it's not yet uh, offered or available. We need to get all the regulatory work and, uh, and uh, licenses to be able to offer such product, but we are working on it. And this means that for the um, payments that you already made, we will index everything to the official property price index. And for the future payments, we will increase your payments whenever there's a new property price index value and it's higher, then we will increase your payments. When it's lower, we will reduce your payments. So every month, your investments will grow by a square foot, or in this case, two square feet. And this is how we, how we plan to address the problem. Okay. So help me understand here. I will just rephrase what you're saying just so I can understand it better. And we'll jump into the pitch deck as well. That effectively the problem is that people are saving based on the 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 money value of a property, and that obviously increases or decreases over time. Yet regardless of the money value, you need to have, let's say, for argument's sake, 20% down payment on that property. But that 20% could end up being 100,000, half a million, depending on the price of the property and how it moves over 10 years. But what you're saying is let's anchor that deposit, that down payment to the bricks and mortar itself. So if the property price outperforms the, the predicted growth, you just have to save more. Is that right? And if, if, it, if growth slows, you save less as a proportion of your sort of like trajectory that to be on target to get 20%. Is that right, more or less? Yes, but whatever you already saved will be keeping the value to the, right. to the index. Right, it's anchored to the bricks and anchored, mortar. Yes. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. One point here to make is that this is not a perfect hedge. Not, it will not cover you perfectly. Just the same way when you look at the inflation number, it will not exactly mirror your consumption pattern. So you will see that inflation published is 5%, but actually my cost went up by 10%, or yeah. some other people will see my cost went up only by 2%. Yeah, it's, it's a fundamental problem, isn't it, with, with financial products aimed at uh, retail investors, um, man on the street, for example, that not necessarily the returns, but the expectations of returns. I mean, pensions are a great example of this, isn't it? That people expect it to be a certain amount when they retire. And then when they actually do the numbers, they realize they had a lot less than they expected, or that's not going to last. So people are, in a way, setting their expectations on the wrong, or benchmarking it to the wrong things, where actually if somebody said, look, this is what you're going to retire with, this is what your product's going to be worth after 20 years, you might say, okay, I just need to increase or I need to decrease, right? Basically, most retail investors aren't sophisticated or... The other problem is, is we're over-optimistic 
about how things work out, right? So let's jump into the pitch deck and maybe have a look at some of the the detail of the product itself. So we'll jump around a little bit. You're talking about the problem here that you've, the bottom line, it's difficult for young people in cities to buy houses, right? That's increasingly a problem. Um, are you focused on specific markets or you focus just where the problem's the biggest? Tell us where you're geographically looking at the moment. So um, we are open with uh, uh, this product could be applicable globally. Now to start with this product, the probably the low lowest hanging fruits are the markets where there's similar product already. So for example, in, in the German speaking part of Europe and uh, some of the additional countries that joined this system, people are familiar with this small ticket monthly, month by month, uh, saving for real estate uh, purchase or improvement purposes. So for those people, especially where you you could see uh, you know about thirty percent difference between house prices and and uh, and saving uh, growth within a short period of five years, there if you offer an option to uh, to the retail uh, consumers to take part or whole of their savings in an index product, especially for those who really want to buy an apartment. Mm. The moment you decide you want to buy an apartment, you are, with technical finance speech, you short the housing market. So any changes upward in the housing market will cost you hard cash at some point in your, in your life. And if you start indexing your investment, then you are taking away some of that risk. Mm -hmm. Okay. So... Does this also apply to Singapore, just out of interest, because you're based here? I know they have a, a different system. They have CPF, where a lot of people can save into a, a pool, a fund, which they can then use for certain investments or certain properties. Is it applicable here, just out of interest? Possibly could be applicable, but it would uh, require for from me uh, a lot of work with uh, uh, the regulators yeah. and with financial institutions, because we are business to business. So we are not going to provide services directly to the consumers. We are working with, with financial institutions to help them to create products that are hedging or, or uh, reducing the exposure to the sudden house, house price changes. Okay, well, let's have a look at some of that. We'll, ju we'll jump into the, the product itself. And um, so, as you're saying, it's a, a tool or helping them develop a product so they can sell that onto the retail market. And um, you actually have some details of the product itself and how it works. Securitization technology is obviously a key part of that. Please explain what it is and what you're going to do differently, maybe, because this isn't necessarily new. You know, it isn't a unique offering, but maybe the way that you're looking at the problem is unique. So tell us a little bit about the product and also how you're viewing things differently. So the way we are looking at uh, this uh, this uh, product is in order to provide the house price inflation or house price index exposure. This is currently non-investable. It's not it's it's just a uh, financial index that is, is published by typically by the Central Statistical Office or some other national institutions or in certain cases private institutions. And in order to create 
uh, an investable instrument, we need to invest in something that is correlated with the index. And then we have to find a way to smooth out the, the differences, how the index and the correlated instrument is moving. So in order to, to get there, we first need to sample uh, the portfolio that will correlate with the index and put it in, a, in an investment vehicle. Mm -hmm. These investment vehicles are typically for uh, professional investors only. So here you see with green, um, a regulated fund. So the fund will buy real estate portfolio. Now this real estate portfolio will not exactly mirror the index. And uh, the way we want to manage it is that we put a securitization vehicle on top of it. And the securitize, we securitize these, these uh, investment fund units or, or investment vehicle units. It's not, not necessarily a fund. And uh, then we bring in additional money from investors, from professional investors like uh, hedge funds or, or pension funds that uh, will provide uh, the cover for the, for the index. Now, the nature of the index, it tracks house prices, but it doesn't deal with the housing uh, stock income. Mm -hmm. So we can use the income to pay for the risk takers who will smooth out the differences. How does that differ from, say, any paper fund which is tied to an asset, like, like for example, an ETF, which is tied to an index? You know, how would that differ in that manner where people set up an investment vehicle to mirror an index? I'm not from that world, so you understand it better than anybody else. Is there a, a fundamental difference there? Like, say, for example, setting up an ETF for gold, tracking a gold price. They don't actually own any gold. I mean, with the paper, you don't own gold. You own, effectively, a, a part of an investment vehicle. Is it a similar setup here? How does it work? Yes, it is very similar. And uh, in most cases, the, you know, the final uh, structure will depend on how the regulatory framework is working and what the regulatory framework allows you. So I have to think of creating products that are suitable for the existing regulatory framework. And, uh, and what we are expecting here is that actually the, the retail product will be created by the retail banks, mm -hmm. the retail distributors, and it will be branded by their brand. And we are providing a hedging instrument for them to cover their risk when they, they sell the products. And, um, and that is how we believe that, that this system could work in the current uh, settings. Mm -hmm. At a later stage, if regulatory uh, environment is changing, as it's always evolving, then we may look into different uh, avenues. But today, we see that this is the most suitable one. And how is that different from anything that financial institutions have access to already, they must have access to a wealth of different um, hedging products or tools that they can use. What, what are you doing differently in that space? Currently in Europe or Asia, I'm not aware of um, hedging tools available to hedge house price indices. Mm -hmm. Maybe in the UK in, in, in some or other way, but uh, in most countries, this is not uh, not a uh, uh, widely practiced. So I think that uh, we are we are representing an innovation here. And, uh, and obviously this uh, will require a substantial amount of capital into the product 
before we can we can uh, go live on a large scale. Hmm. Why hasn't anybody done this already? What what is it that is because it's not a new problem necessarily. I mean, house prices and the lack of affordability and indexing it for any product has been around. That problem has been around for many years. So why does it take you to be the first to do that? Well, I think there's a, a lot of challenges in, in structuring this. And also because the market is quite big. So when I'm looking at the market in Europe and uh, the eight EU countries that have the, the German type model, they have about 1 trillion uh, euros of existing deposits in this, in this system mm. with the no indexation but with some tax benefits and or government support. So when the market is so big and, uh, and there's so many uh, customers buying this anyway, I don't think they have the incentive to put down significant amount of time and money and take the uncertainties whether they will be successful or not. Mm -hmm. Okay, there's a lot of, so, well, uh, not to, to use a pun, but there's a lot of invested interest in that system. It works to a point, but you, I mean, a trillion dollars of, of cash in those, those vehicles already, that, that's a big market to play around with. I would have thought somebody had had a go at least coming up with a product. Do we have anything like that here in Asia? Um, to my knowledge, China has something that is based on a similar system. They started uh, not very long ago, mm. but I'm not very familiar with the with the detailed workings of it. Okay, good. Let's have a look at the business model, and then we talk about your journey as well and how far you've come with this. So we can jump into the pitch deck again, and I think it's on slide eight. You talk a bit about the business model, about the three different areas where your revenues come from. So describing them here, you have the asset-based income for managing the structures. That's a management fee to the institutions and the income from providing capital, which you talked about before, which I guess is the payback into the, the vehicle, which you can give to the risk takers. And then the sales commission from the developers. How would that work? So what we are planning to do here, um, and, and one more aspect, I would like to talk about the data aspect of this, of this product. So here, once this system is live in, in a market, then people who are saving, they come in, they, they contract, and then we can ask them, where would they want to buy? So that's an information that mm. they can give us a district or a city or, or, a, or even a street level information. So they give us some sort of preferences. What is their dream home? And, uh, that one, given the saving period is typically, let's say five years. Then we know five years before where the market is, 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 is heading. And we can ask them every year whether you know, their preference is changed or you know, there could be an interaction. And uh, although this is not a perfect database, but it's a forward-looking database. So currently, if we look at the ecosystem around the housing market, the banks are estimating the demand for mortgage based on historical mm. patterns. The developers are de designing their, their future. They, they are land banking and deciding on starting developments based on historical patterns. So here, there is something more. We have forward-looking information. We have from the future home buyers, we can map their preferences. And then we can use this to help 
the banks to plan their mortgage activities better and to help developers hmm. to land bank or to, to think about their future. When we do that, also in the last year of the savings, let's say you save for five years, and in the first month of the fifth year, we will ask the developers, what do they have in stock? And what is going to be ready within, let's say, 18 months of, um, of time frame in the various districts? So then when you have a saving with a preference of you want to buy in a certain part of the city, then we can showcase you, this is what is going to be available and we can negotiate with the developers certain discounts because for them to sell in this avenue, they are directly advertising to the crowd who is interested in buying in that particular area. So they don't have to spend, you know, like if you look mm. at social media advertising and the effectiveness of, of a Facebook ad, what is the conversion ratio? Here, the conversion ratio will be in, you know, double digit percentages. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. Developers face a real problem in the sense that their businesses feast or famine, really. They either are doing very well or they're going out of business. So that's the problem because they exist really at the, the fr they front run the trend really in, in the property market. And like you say, it's done on historical data. So when they're land banking, when they're developing a new phase of a, you know, apartment blocks, for example, and they release them in phases, they often are desperate for cash flow. That's why if you come along and say, we can get this sale ahead of time, 18 months ahead, they can get the cash flow. They can then fund the next phase of their development. So for a developer, that's great news. What about for estate agents and real estate agents as well? Because a, a big part of the property market happens there as well from the, you know, the, the not, not the new builds, but the existing portfolios. If you went to a large estate agent and said, look, we have all this data and all these people are coming onto the market here, surely that would be valuable to them as well, right? Yes, I believe so. But I think that uh, real estate agents will only look at it once the system is up and running. Mm. And let's say I have 10,000 customers, then definitely it will be interesting for them. Yeah. Okay. In all of your business model, where do you think is the biggest growth area of all of that? that you've got sort of different avenues to your business model, haven't you? You have the B2B, the white labeling of the product or the developing a product for an institution. And then you have all this data as well, which you're gathering about customers, retail customers. And also on the other side about banks and financial institutions, mortgagees and so on, mortgagers. Um, where would you think the real growth is there? Because both of those areas could grow significantly. When you're out there pitching this, which is the part do you think that really interests your potential investors? I think that the immediate uh, opportunity is in the savings, savings product and the related activities. But as this product could become more mature, I think that the data business at some point will take it over. Mm. As you can see in many uh, newly created uh, businesses over the last 10, 15 years, you, you will see that that data is taking over. Mm. And that would be interest to central bank economists as well, no? Surely that data, if you're collecting, they don't have that data about who is maturing these kind of policies in five to 10 years time, right? Yes, I think that 
uh, this kind of uh, data management and and uh, and um, data aggregation could be interesting for many of the of the economic actors. So it could be interesting for um, central banks or even governments mm. when they are setting certain policies because they will see certain trends in the market based on the forward-looking uh, trends that, that are currently not available. Yeah, life assurance companies as well. Yeah, I mean, if they knew that you were in the market to buy a mortgage product in seven to 10 years' time, and it's going to be of this size, let's say a million euros, you're going to need life assurance for that, right? For sure, yes. Yeah, I mean, th these guys, I mean, they struggle to get like quality leads as well, right? Because it's a hyper-competitive market. Yeah, I think the data side is very interesting. Let's have a look at where you've come from and maybe talk a little bit about your team as well. And then we'll, we'll look at where you're going in, in the journey, your raise from here on in and what you forecast for the next 12 to 24 months in your journey. I want to have a look at the slide which has your team in it. Let's give us uh, a little bit of background. So there's yourself... Barna here and your co-founder? Yes. So tell us a little bit about your co-founder as well and how all that came together. And please do the pronunciations for me because you'll be better at this in your native language. Yeah, so Dr. Hussar is uh, also a fellow Hungarian. So we happened to meet in uh, Singapore and uh, she's teaching real estate and uh, real estate finance and the related risk management uh, at the NUS and mm -hmm. other um, universities in, in in the Asia Pacific region. So, as she is a, an academic and she has a very strong interest in in real estate, we started to talk maybe about six months ago about you know what I'm planning to do and what I uh, what I'm uh, doing with with uh, uh, this opportunity. And at some point, we started to 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 work uh, closer together and and uh, and then we uh, decided to. Uh, to formalize the cooperation. Yeah. So in your team, who does what? How does that sort of break down between the two of you? So I'm doing more the financial engineering and the, the regulatory um, uh, background work. And uh, she is uh, uh, more focused on the on the actual property markets, property trends, and, uh, and the risk management aspects. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. And the two of you at this stage, you say three yes. to four months in since you incorporated, or I mean, you said three to four months actually having an MVP out there. Or wh where are you in your stage? So we we not yet incorporated with a SquareSafe brand. Mm. I do have a small company in Singapore that can uh, incubate in the in the startup phase, and um, uh, we have our prototype being built as as we speak. So. <clears throat> Currently, we are looking at uh, uh, funding for for the growth of the company mm. to build out the uh, remaining infrastructure and um, to build the financial and uh, and uh, smartphone applications that we need to to launch the product. Um, Let's go to that slide. You've got a slide at the end of the the pitch deck, which is your ask, effectively. Two to three million to fund the growth of the company, and thirty to three hundred million to fund the prototype. Obviously, that's the the following raise, right? You're lining that up already. Where no, this is a, this is a coming hand in hand. Right. So so the way it works, 
in order to put the certificate that is linked to the to the house price inflation in a certain market, we need to buy hedge. We need mm. to we need to securitize something. So I need to buy at least some real estate, and the the less we can we, we buy initially, the more uh, cushion I will need to commit in order to to smooth out the differences. So once you have a portfolio of real estate, that uh, is the, the closer you get to statistical sampling of a representative sample, the less is the expected tracking error. Mm. In the beginning, it will be quite big. So even with a with a best selection, I have to create the uh, the reserves to allow for for the the changes. Right. Okay. So in, in that slide, obviously the the second figure is for the assets in the fund. The first figure is for the company, the for the Square Save company itself. Yes. Right. So. How are you approaching the fundraising at the moment for both of these? Let's start with the the two to three million euros. Who are you pitching to at the moment? Are you looking for institutional investors? Are there angels who will be involved in that round as well? Are you considering any sort of ticket sizes? What are your requirements? Well, I'm thinking of uh, of of involving possibly a professional investor, like a financial institution could be could be very interesting because they could they could help with the product development, but it's not necessary. So I'm also talking to angels, business angels, mm. and also talking to VC uh, firms that are interested in and 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 that see that uh, this is uh, this is something that could grow here in Singapore or in Europe. Mm, in Singapore and in Europe. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. Keep your options open. Are you considering any? Uh, Ticket size, like minimum entry size for an angel, because if you're raising two to three million, you might argue that many angels might think they're already out of the deal because you know they might only have thirty to fifty thousand. Do you have like a minimum ticket size? Well, I I would like to have a relatively large minimum ticket size because I want my investors to be um, to be more involved mm. in a in a sense that uh, they they could be people who are familiar with some parts of this of this uh, ecosystem and uh, and I don't want to have too many investors so yeah. I ideally I would pull together a club deal of you know maximum 3 to 5 investors so that will also define the ticket size for business angels um, who have a, a smaller risk appetite I would rather invite them into a, an advisory board if they have uh, relevant knowledge and experience. Many of these people, I'm talking to some of these people already who have a you know, lifelong experience in something related and, uh, and then uh, you know, put a different deal on the table for them. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, you have access to a lot of people here in Singapore what would be your message to them? What are you looking for? Obviously, the angel investors, the financial investors, institutions, maybe there's family offices as well. Um, but there's also people you say that may be advisors. And are you recruiting as well at the moment? So maybe just let's run through the list. What are you looking for at the moment? You've got an opportunity to put the pitch out there. What kind of people do you want to talk to at this stage and on what sort of terms? So I'm looking to... Um investors to invest in SquareSave 
and see through the, the growth of the company. So possibly investors who could even participate in the post-revenue phase. Yeah, multiple rounds as well. Yeah, Multiple rounds. So, so uh, someone who is interested in a seed round and let's say possibly uh, Series A once we, are, once we are there. I'm also raising funds for the, for the, for the prototype to, to buy the first product. That's a different type of investor. And uh, that has various ways to structure. And I have to be very careful here because, you know, like uh, I cannot advertise any yeah. kind of uh, investment product and I don't want to. So I'm looking for principal investments in, uh, uh, to, to start with. And um, with the professional investors, I'm already in discussion of how to, how to build a prototype. Mm. So that's less of a focus at the moment. Okay. Yeah, just to clear that, you have to be licensed as a fund, right, to put the appeal out for that particular part. But you're looking for the company itself and yes. building the product. And the fund is completely off the table here. Yeah. So the fund, Squaresave, is not a fund and will not be a fund. Yeah, okay. We will be working with licensed fund managers who can provide us hedge in various parts of the world. So I, I am fairly vague on this at the moment because it depends if, if my... Uh, Investors will tell me that we think that this product has to be launched in, for example, in Singapore, mm. then I have to seek the fund manager who can work together with me in Singapore, who's locally regulated and who can, who can uh, help me to build the prototype here. Okay, clear. And recruiting? Recruiting, that depends on the, um, on the funding of the company. Yeah. So we are looking for people uh, with uh, skills in technology. And also we are planning to, to uh, launch an educational uh, kind of arm or, 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 or a side. Because when I'm talking to people in various parts of the world, most people get to, to, to start working without any formal training or informal training in real estate, real estate market mortgages. Yeah. Five to 10 years out, they are making the biggest financial decisions of their life with absolutely no information advised by people whose vested interest is different because they are talking to the real estate agent, to the developer, and to the mortgage banker. And each of them have their own agenda. So what we are thinking is to, to start an educational kind of uh, side of the business. This will be aimed directly to, uh, to the public, unlike our product. And uh, we we uh, are not going to sell any products here. We just want to raise awareness of the various points that people should consider before they are buying in, uh, real estate. Yeah, that is well needed, I think, in the market. Most people may have money in the bank, but very few know, for example, like the interest rate on their credit card. The financial education of the average person is quite low, I think. And I wonder whether or not that's in the vested interest of the, the wider economy, right? That obviously people need to know about these factors, like need to know how much they need to save. And nobody's teaching this. It doesn't exist in school, doesn't exist in university. And even the parents as well aren't particularly well clued up on these issues. So be interesting to see how that goes. Because I know there are, you know, moves out there to get people more skilled up in financial education. But, you know, where does it come from? It's got to come from the private sector, I think. That's where the, the drive 
going to come from to, and, you know, in the sense that what you're talking about going full circle where we started today, you know, even someone like yourself from the world of finance, you, you save money for a house and the house prices run away, you know, even with your skills, you know, it's hard to keep up with those house prices. I imagine for somebody who doesn't have a career in investment banking as well, how hard that must be. So, Barna, thanks so much for sharing your journey with us today. Um, where do we find out more about you and your team, your business? Are you active on LinkedIn? You've got a website you can share as well? Uh, yes, uh, we have a website, squaresafe.com. And uh, we also will be next week in Hong Kong in the RISE conference. We will have an exhibition on the 9th of July. So if Reach somebody out. is yeah. uh, there, you, can, you are welcome to visit our booth. Excellent. That is Barna Semsi, everybody from Squaresafe. Thanks for sharing. Good luck in Hong Kong as well. And good luck on your ongoing journey. Thank you. That was Pitch Deck Asia, powered by Pitch Media Asia. My name is Graham Brown. Pitch Deck Asia is a platform to give startups in Asia a voice. We give them a show to help them tell their story. And if you love these startup stories and like hearing more about the journeys of the founders, go and check out our SoundCloud channel, which is available at pitchdeck.asia slash SoundCloud. That's pitchdeck.asia slash SoundCloud. Head along to the channel, subscribe, follow us, and feel free to leave a comment or a rating on our channel as well. We'd love to hear your feedback.